Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Vandalia, Michigan campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. All right, would you help me welcome out pastoral assistant from Nichols, Kathy Spaulding. Is it on? Am I on? Awesome. Um, well, uh, we're in the middle of a series called Emotional Healthy Community, and it's based off a book. Um, well, uh, the pastoral staff was, is reading this book called um, Emotionally Healthy Churches, I think, and um, Peter Scazzario, I think is the guy's name. And um, I'll use a couple of quotes from his book. Um, but today, uh, <laughs> I have the honor and pleasure of talking about a topic that's um, exciting and fun, <laughs> um, embracing grief. And uh, one of the things, you know, that happens in all of our lives is we experience loss. At some point or another, loss comes in many forms, and we need to know how to handle it appropriately. And especially in our culture, in America, you know, grief is not something we like to talk about. We like to hurry up and fix it, hurry up and get past it, get through it. Um, you know, we tell little boys, don't cry, be tougher than that. We, we medicate. If somebody's sad for a, a hot second, we're like, well, let's get them medication or let's not, you know, let's not dwell on the past. Let's not, I mean, you guys can fill in all the um, colloquialisms that we use when we talk about hurrying up and getting better, right? As if better is, I don't know. It's not sad. Better is not sad. And, um, and that's not true. And, and it's not true. And I'm going to talk about a few places. Um, I'm going to talk about, I'm going to answer some questions. That's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to talk about, first of all, why are we even talking about this? So um, Peter uh, Scazzario says, embracing grief is the only pathway to become as compassionate as Christ. The only way that you can really have the compassion that Christ has is to experience grief, to, to embrace it and, and walk that walk. Um, it ta- he talks about, in the, in the book, it was interesting to me because I, I had never thought about it this way. Um, I've had some lots of losses in my life. And he talks about the fact that uh, grief actually enlarges your soul and matures you. You become mature when you're grieving. And, and I thought this was interesting. He said catastrophic loss, so that's like super, probably a death, really bad loss, can either transform us or destroy us, but it will never leave us the same. So we have a choice to let it transform us or let it destroy us, but we won't be the same. Um, and so that's a choice, right? Um, and and, and he, he uses this analogy. I'm still struggling with it, but I, but I felt like the Lord told me to share it, so I'm going to share it. Um, he talks about some of those hard times as, um, as you would look at a compost pile. You take something that's dead or, you know, rotten or hard or awful, and you stick it in a compost pile. And I'm sure down here in Vandalia, you guys know what happens to a good compost pile. 
it turns out some pretty amazing stuff, right? Something beautiful comes out of it. And um, I can tell you in my life, um, I've seen that, I've, I've seen the Lord do that in my life. So we were talking about Jesus wanting to be like Jesus, and in Isaiah 53, verses 3 and 11, Isaiah prophesies about who Jesus is going to be. And he says that Jesus is a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. And then he goes on and he lists all these things, and at the end he says, and when he sees, that's Jesus, when he, Jesus sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. That something good came out of it. And um, I know that Mark shared down here, and I didn't get to listen to his message, but the idea of being broken and embracing the brokenness, that God's power can be the most powerful in our brokenness. And if we think about Jesus, when Jesus was the most broken is when God's most powerful act happened. Our salvation. When Jesus died on the cross, the most broken, God's most powerful act happened. And that we were set free. Um, I, I know many of you know a portion of my story, and I've got a lot of slides, but I'm just going to um, just kind of highlight a couple of things. Um, the, so when we think of grief, and I'm going to talk about grief is not only death, there's lots of things we grieve. And so if you're sitting here going, well, I haven't, you know, I, I don't need to know this, or I haven't experienced this, I will guarantee you, you have in some facet or another, and I have a whole list I'll share with you. But for me, when I was writing my grief outline down one time, um, I was only thinking of deaths. And I was five years old when I experienced my first traumatic event. My cat died. My mom said it, I spent a week crying, and three days I wouldn't go to school. I was, just, I was just so distraught about my cat dying. And then um, I didn't have a, a, a death in the family until I was 21 years old, and my great-grandmother, who was 103, she died. And I just sobbed. At 103, like, I mean, you know, in, in perspective, right? Like, she had a really great life. She lived in her own home till she was 102. Like, come on, you know? I mean, she was, she was that was awesome. But it did something in me. I just, the, knowing that I wasn't going to see her again. Now, you know, I want to reiterate, she's not grieving, right? I mean, she's in the Lord's presence, but I'm here without her. And so when we talk about loss, we talk about how it affects us. Um, <clears throat> so then um, a couple of years later, uh, I was um, married to my first husband, had a daughter, had a son. Um, my son was 18 months old right before Christmas, and he died in a car accident. And then um, uh, I had another son, and then I had a daughter, and then I had another son, and then my youngest daughter at that time um, drowned in our pool. Um, both my kids were, uh, my son was eight, 19 months old, and my daughter was just over two. And, um, and then 
fast forward several years, um, and then my uh, ex-husband and I, we got a divorce, and I was the one who initiated it. And being the good Christian that I was, I knew that everything I was doing was wrong, that, that it was, the, the guilt that I put on myself was, was, um, was terrible. And I will tell you that the pain of the divorce was in some ways harder because it was my choice. My son and my daughter was not my choice. And um, still angry, still hard, still, still had to work through some things. But I can stand before you now 30 years since my son died. My son, when my son died, I actually got saved. I got saved at um, what, what was then called RCA, uh, Redemption Christian Assembly, and changed my life. And through the pain and the sorrow, I can see God's hand at work. I can see beauty from ashes. Because I know where my kids are, they're fine. It was how am I going to allow God to transform me so that, I'm, I'm, that, that he can bring beauty from ashes. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about who grieves. And um, I'm going to go straight to the top, the Godhead. And if you don't know, there's lots of scriptures. I only picked out one for each. But God, in Genesis 6, when he saw mankind, (laughs) and he saw how evil they had become, this is right before um, Noah's Ark, he, um, how, how mankind had resorted to evil, one of the translations says, it broke his heart. God's heart was broken. And uh, Jesus grieved over Jerusalem. You know, in Matthew 23, he's sitting on the hilltop and he's looking over the city and he's saying, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how long have I wanted to gather you together like a hen gathers her chicks? He's just like grieving over people that he loved and have rebelled against him. And in Isaiah 63, Um, When the people rebelled against God, it says it grieved the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was grieved by the rebellion of people. The Hebrew root of these griefs is a mix of divine indignation against sin, right? I'm mad at sin, and a heartfelt anguish for humankind, that those two opposites could exist. That he could hate the sin, be angry with the sin, and yet be filled with anguish over the people. The grief of God, this grief in all of the Godhead, testifies that there's a dynamic living relationship between God and humankind. If he didn't care, he wouldn't grieve. Right? If he didn't care about us, it wouldn't matter. Why would he grieve over us? It does matter to him. What happens in our lives matters to him. But not only the Godhead, others in the Bible. Abraham wept when he buried Sarah, his wife. Jacob wept when he wrestled with the angel. David and Jonathan wept together when they were going to have to part ways. Hezekiah wept over his own illness. 
Josiah wept over the sin of Israel, and Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. Now, these, these passages I picked out because, you know, um, well, actually, I didn't pick them out. I, whatever thing I was reading picked them out. But um, weeping is not the only way to grieve. I want to just talk about that right now. So if you go, yeah, I grieve, but I don't cry, so maybe I don't grieve. That's not true. You can grieve without crying. It's totally okay. Jesus was grieving over the city. It doesn't say he wept when he said those words. Um, so just clarifying. So what is grief? Um, so I, I talked to you um, ab- about my losses with death, but I'm going to give you a whole host of them. And one of the things that I'd like you to do is make a note. You can write them down or you can make a mental note of things that you've experienced. You know, I, I meant to make this grid of all these things, but um, my... Uh, <laughs> Speaking of grieving and illnesses, my mother's husband is experiencing dementia, and it's gone to, I mean, it's gone really fast. And um, so I've been over there a lot trying to help take care of things, and my mom is grieving the loss of a husband because now he's become childlike and she has to take care of him. So, um, so I just want you to make a mental note because I'm going to give you something to do with the things that we grieve. And so grieving just means loss, right? We've lost something. And so it can be death. It can be divorce. But it can also be the loss of a relationship, whether it be a breakup or a friendship or something goes awry or people move away. It can be a disability. Um, you know, some, you just lose. I, I know that for, for my parents getting older, I was, we were with my um, in-laws yesterday, and my mother-in-law was like, I can't do this getting older. I'm just not able to do that. That's difficult, right? That's difficult. Um, losing your job. Um, sexual abuse, rape, a disaster or a trauma. You know, people who experienced just, just recently the tornado in um, Tennessee, you know, those people are experiencing a loss. Um, betrayal, uh, financial loss, you know, something happens, stock market crashes, there goes your retirement fund or whatever it is. Um, miscarriage or infertility, illness, um, cancer is horrible, uh, the death of a pet, those are all losses. And if, it, if any one of those isn't enough, what happens many times with any, any loss is a secondary loss comes on top of it. So it could be um, like, the, say, a spouse dies. Well, then there's a loss of income, and there's a loss of identity. Well, I was a wife. Now I'm not a wife, right? I, I mean, you are, but now that person is gone. Or, um, you know, for me, it, the loss of the dream of my, my son. And um, when my son died, I, and this may seem silly to you, but or, you know what? No, it's not silly. What was really hard was I looked and went, I'm never going to dance with him at his wedding. You know, I had to grieve that as well, Right? And the loss of a home, maybe, maybe because of 
the whatever happened the event you lose your home your hopes and dreams are shattered maybe you lose your business maybe the financial security is gone um, or if you were taking care of somebody who was sick like a terminally ill person when they die suddenly you're no longer the caretaker well that's another loss like you know for some people they've been taking care of somebody for three four years and and now they don't have someone to take care of that's an additional loss and those are called secondary losses. Um, and one of the hardest ones for me was the loss of memories. Because over time, you don't make new ones with, you know, with those situations, right? But it's not just loss like those, which are catastrophic and hard. There's, hello, okay. There's also natural losses. And these are ones that everyone in this room has experienced at some point in time. And you're going to go, what? The first one, yep, is graduation. Suddenly, you don't, you, you know, if you graduate from high school or college, you don't have the financial or emotional security of your family because now you're moving on to adult life, right? I mean, that can be a loss from, you know, a transitioning time. Um, moving. You know, sometimes if you move to a new home, you grieve the old home. Or you move to a new state or a new city or whatever, and you lose friends in the, in the move, you know? Um, relationships. When the relationships fade away or friendships dissolve. Um, this one I thought was interesting. That he, he talked about the fact that people, when they get married, they lose their singleness, which I didn't have a problem with. I was like, yes. But there are other people who feel like, no, I, you know, and I was talking to someone just the other day, and she said, I really struggled with that. I really had a hard time, you know, with just like the idea of I wouldn't be single anymore. And I was like, you know, we each grieve things differently. I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, you can also, like if leadership changes, whether it be at work or at church, that's a loss, especially if you liked that person, right? This one, um, a church group ends or a building change. And I will tell you, I, so I told you that when my son died, um, we were at a little building. If you guys know where Bronson Hospital is, they built that new parking structure. That used to be our old building. <laughs> it was a little tiny church with stained glass windows. And um, after my son died, I walked in there December 31st, 19... Uh, 89, no, yes, 18, 89, yes, 89, so it's been 20, 30 years, walked into that church, and that was the day I got saved, and I remember when we, when we, they came, the Bronson Hospital came and said, we want to buy the property, and the, everybody was all excited about building this new church building, which is the Nichols campus, and, and I was like, I don't want to build a new church. I like my, I like my stained glass windows, and it, it, it meant something to me. And then there's other people who are like, out with the old and in with the new, right? You know. But there are people we need to be sensitive that some people are grieving those things, right? Um, mementos can be destroyed, whether just you know, like pictures fade, or maybe they get moldy or mildewed, or you know, a fire or something happens over time. Um, even retirement. You know, people who retire, that's supposed to be an exciting time, but you have some of those secondary losses, right? You have a loss of, well, what's my purpose now? 
before I was working, you know? Um, you lose some of those friends, those work friends. You lose the camaraderie of being a part of things and being in the know. Um, so can anybody, you're, I'm gonna make you show your hands. Can anybody identify with any of the losses I've talked about so far? Oh, everybody in the room. Everybody in the room, yes, okay. All right, well, you didn't raise your hand, so I wasn't sure. Okay, so, um, so how do we grieve? So what do we do when we grieve? How, how, how does that work? Um, well, a lot of times you do follow like a family model. If you see your parents do something or your family do something, you tend to try and do that the same way. Um, but oftentimes your first experience will set you up for life. However you dealt with it the first time, like a significant loss, is how you pattern the rest of the losses. And that can be good or bad, depending on how well you did it, right? Um, so I want to I, I talk about the fact that I, I'm going to tell you about two different types of grievers, how people grieve. But before I do that, I just want to tell you that ignoring it doesn't work, okay? It does do emotional harm to you. Ignoring any kind of loss or grief and just pretending it didn't happen it will come back and bite you, however, in lots of ways, okay? So, um, so there's different types, uh, so I wanna just explain the different types of grievers. So there's an intuitive griever, and then there's an instrumental griever. I wish I had known that when my, um, my son and daughter died because my, hus my, my ex-husband was one and I was another, and I thought he was crazy and he thought I was crazy, okay? Because we grieved differently. So an intuitive griever, the affect is high, the thinking is low. That doesn't mean you're brain dead, okay? It just means that you experience feelings deeply. You cry openly. It's very emotional. That's how I grieve. And um, thinking is low in the sense of you don't always feel like you have control over your feelings. You, you have a difficult time thinking. You forget things all the time. Um, you, and, and they tend to want to tell the stories over and over again because that's how they grieve, all right? The best way to support yourself, if that's you, is to join a support group, um, openly express your feelings, and don't avoid them, if that's you, okay? Now, on the other hand, if you're an instrumental griever, this is where the affect is low, but the thinking is high. So affect of low is kind of like your feelings are muted or toned down. You may not be a crier. You might cry privately, but definitely not in front of other people. You um, are reluctant to share your feelings with others. Your thinking being high is you, thinking proceeds and dominates your feelings. Like you're like, I'm going to problem solve how to fix this. It's all about that you know, engaging your brain to try and work through the grief, however that looks. Um, and you focus on problem solving and not expressing those feelings. The best way to, to be supported in that is take your time of alone, solitude, reflect, and do some problem solving. Like, what works for you? If you're that instrumental griever, you're like, you know what? I need to take time every week to do, you know, whatever. Um, beware of... Um, Joining a support group, I'm not against support groups, but there's two different kinds. You can go to one that's informational, and that's great, 
but don't go, an instrumental griever will probably not be good in one where everybody's sharing their story because they're just going to sit there and go, well, if you just did this and this and this, then you would feel better and then get to the next person and that helps you not at all. Okay, I mean, if you want to go, you, you can, but it doesn't usually bring benefit to an instrumental griever. Does that make sense? Does everybody? Okay. Um, and don't feel guilty. If you're an instrumental griever, do not feel guilty. You know, I, I, we were standing at, um, uh, I can't remember who, who it was, and there was two different people, it were siblings, and one was just crying openly, the other was showing no expression, you know. And so you, on the outside, we could look at them and go, well, he just didn't even care about that person, you know, but she really did. Well, that is not true. They just grieve differently. Does that make sense? Um, and, and either type, be very, very careful about drugs and alcohol because they just mask the pain, and then you end up having to deal with it when you wake up from the stupor. Uh, you know, that's just, um, unfortunately, my ex-husband did not um, deal with the grief at all and, and used it to mask the pain, and um, it, was, it was just terrible. So anyway, I gotta move on. Wow, am I out of time. All right, so, um, so has anybody ever seen something like this, like the stages of grief? You know, I, I hate this. This is terrible. This is just terrible, okay? And I'll tell you why. Because I look at that and I think, oh, well, if I, if I am angry or I have denial and then I go through depression and then I go through bargaining, I'll get to acceptance and then, oh, wait, now I got to do it all over again? Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. Like, I want, you know, like, uh, well, the problem is they took it off this woman, her name is Kubler-Ross, Grief Cycle. And this model, and I know you guys can't see it, so it's first is denial, then's anger, then bargaining, then depression, and then acceptance. This model was for people with terminal illness. It's not for every griever. This is not for every griever. This is what happens when... You know, you have a diagnosis of, you know, you've got six weeks to live. You go through the, this kind of process. You will see people tend to do this if they greet. Does that make sense? So for all the losses we're talking about, that model doesn't work. It, it works if you have a terminal illness, but only for that person. Do you know what I'm saying? Is that, okay. I'm just, um, so some of the emotions that are connected with grief, and this is just a short list, our shock and disbelief, especially right after it happens, you know, just it's like a fog, you just can't believe. You know, people who've gotten fired, they're just like wandering. People who, you know, have lost. I, I know um, when we, we had a pet die, my son just, he hated going to near the chair that the cat always sat in. You know what I mean? It's just like, and he just kept walking in expecting it to happen, and then it was like, or expecting her to be there, and then it was like reliving it all over again. It was just really hard. Um, sadness, you know, obviously, sadness comes with grief. Um, guilt, oh, wait, back up, guilt. Um, a lot of times people, especially with a death, feel guilty about a million things. You just, it is, it is a natural thing to feel guilty, and there's, there is a healthy guilt, and then there's an unhealthy guilt. There's a place where you're like, you have to just kind of accept, you know what, I'm not God. 
I don't have control over everything and allow, you know, allow God to be God and you to be not, was what Job said, right, when Job came to the end. Does not mean it's not okay to question God. Job is our example. God can take it. He's not going to be mad at you if you go, I don't understand why, right? Um, anger. Anger is... <laughs> Jesus was angry. You know, we can be angry at death. We can be angry with a situation. It's okay. And it's okay to be angry, go to bed, wake up still angry. I, I know, don't let the sin go down on your wrath, but when you're grieving, this, there's nothing wrong with that. Now, when I'm angry about a situation that happens, and I berate my husband, and I abuse my children. Now, that's not okay. Do, do you understand? There's a healthy way to handle, handle that. And I need an entire day to get through all of the material I have for you. Okay, fear is the last one. You know, I remember when my son died, my mom wanted to take my daughter to this thing, and I didn't want her to go anywhere. I'm like, nope. No, 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 no. I'm afraid. I don't, want, I don't want anything to happen. You know, what if it happens again? And, and so, so fear is a natural response to it. Um, some myths I want to tell you about. One, pain doesn't go away when you ignore it. It just doesn't. Pain does not go away when you ignore it. It's, um, myth number two, it's important to be strong in the face of loss. Crap. That is crap. You don't have to be strong. You can be a mess. Because God is the only one that has to be strong. Um, I already talked about crying. Oh, grieving should last a year. Anybody heard that before? Should last a year, right? No. Some people grieve longer. Some people grieve shorter. Some people, you, you shouldn't, especially if it's a really um, intense loss, you shouldn't make any um, major decisions for a year. Now, the only reason they say that, that's just kind of a guideline. If you don't make any major decisions for a year, it just means that you won't make a knee-jerk reaction. I'm going to move and sell everything. And then a year later, you're like, oh, my gosh, I wanna, I, why did I do that? You know what I mean? Because you're in this emotional place for that first year, especially if it's a significant loss, okay? Um, and the, the, the next myth is moving on with your life means forgetting about your loss. That does not true. If you have to move on with your life, we all have to move on with our life. I, spoiler alert. I mean, I, w I wanted nothing more than my life to stand still. I remember um, we were driving to the cemetery, or back from the cemetery, and I saw a gas station, and people were there, and I thought, why are they there? Don't they know what happened? Why is life moving on? But life does move on. And so what can we do to be able to move on? Well, there is, this, there is a model that is a good model, and it's called the Tasks of Grief. And it's by a man named um, Warden. It's W-O-R-D-E-N. Um, so this better depicts what you should do with your grief. Are we good? I'm ch children workers. I'm really so sorry. i got about five, ten more minutes. Um, so he talks about there's, there's four tasks, and, and the fourth task is really part of if you're grieving a death. But the first task is to accept that it really happened. 
And if I, remember I told you if any of those list of things have happened to you, if you've never dealt with them, going back and acknowledging, wow, that was hard when I lost my job. Wow, that was hard when we moved and, you know, that happened or that was really hard. Just acknowledging that it happened. That's the first step. Um, you know, for, for someone especially experiencing a death, it can take days to weeks to months to be in that phase of really accepting that it happened. Then the second part is to work through the pain. And this is the part you can't rush. You have to allow the pain to happen, and it is hard. It is hard work. Um, you have the compound losses, so sometimes you might have to separate the losses and, and, and um, work through each of them. Um, we have a model for why we need to do this, and it's David in 2 Samuel 1.18. Saul has just died. Let me back up. David has been told by the Lord, you're going to be king. As soon as Saul, I'm, I'm going to take care of Saul, I'm going to get rid of Saul, and you're going to be king. David learns that Saul died. Cool, he's king, right? Wrong. He goes, everybody, we're going to mourn. He writes a song of lament, and in 2 Samuel 1.18, it talks about how he teaches thousands of men this song, and we're going to lament the death of our king. Even though Saul tried to kill David multiple times, he understood we don't just rush on through. We need to experience the grief, accept the pain, and, um, and, and work through that. If you need to forgive somebody or yourself or something, true forgiveness takes time, and it really only happens if you process the pain. So if you're sitting there going, you know, someone says, well, really, you need to forgive, you know, your boss for firing you, and like, okay, I forgive John for doing that, probably isn't going to take, Right? So really allowing yourself to, and when we do healing and restoration, a lot of times we'll say things like, you know, how did that make you feel? Talk about those feelings. I was furious with him. I felt like he belittled me. And, you know, and allow those feelings to happen because out of that you can really experience forgiveness that you don't have to go back and do over and over again. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, but if you're stuck, I would, um, so with, with my, with my ex-husband, there was some stuff I was stuck in forgiving him. And at one point, um, what I did is I asked God to show me how he saw him. And that unlocked it for me so that I could truly forgive and move on. Does that make sense? Um, plan, uh, so one of, the, one of the tricks that I learned um, which for grieving, especially a significant loss, is, is planning out times to be sad. Saying, you know what, um, every week for, you know, or maybe every day at this time, I'm going to allow myself to think about this loss. Because if you plan those times, you're less likely to not talk about it, not talk about it, not talk about it. And then here Lou and I are talking, and he says something, and I'm like, oh, my God. And he's going, whoa. You know, it's like a pressure cooker. You just, that pressure keeps building, and you just blow up on somebody else. So what you're doing is, just like a pressure cooker, if you plan grieving, you're letting some of that steam out 
a little bit at a time, and then it doesn't, it, you don't blow up. Does that, I mean, you still might blow up, but um, know your triggers. Tell others what you need. I told people, not the first time, but when my daughter died, I said, I want you to tell me stories you remember about my daughter. I want you to say her name. I want you to talk about her. And I'm going to cry, and it's going to be okay. I still need that. Um, so then you adjust to the new environment um, where either the deceased is gone or what is lost is missing. Okay, so the, you're adjusting to your new job or you're adjusting to, does that make sense? You adjust to that new. So you have to be in that painful stage for a while till you can start to adjust to, an, to the new. Um, now, for, for adjusting to the new normal, like if it's a death, it might be going ahead and giving away things that were you know, clothing or, you know, the death of a spouse, you know, changing the bedroom around or, um, you know, some of those kinds of things. And then for, for someone who has died, um, you want to find a way to keep a connection to them while continuing to have your new life. So what does that look like? You know, and it's different for everybody. For me, you know, there were times that we talked about, you know, the people that were gone, we, we just, you know, we had, we were open about it, and that was good for me. While we were starting this new life, we remembered things. My granddaughter will say, tell me about my, my uncle that didn't, you know, was this his, his, I have one stuffed animal from him, and she asks me about it every time she comes over, and she's trying to make sense of it while I am still holding on, but I'm moving on. Does that make sense? Um, and all of that, the, the, the mourning that we just do, or the grieving, the sadness, the degree to which I learn to grieve my own losses is in direct proportion to the depth and quality of my relationship with God and the compassion I can offer to others. And Jesus is the model. Jesus is our model. When he met Mary and Martha when Lazarus died, I'm just going to do this real quick, and then I'll close. Um, you know, Mary, or they, they sent a message to Jesus and said, hey, Lazarus has died. And Jesus says, he says to them, to the people around him, he says, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death, um, but, but so that the Son of God will receive glory. And... Um, and then he turns around and he says, and the, they are saying, well, if he's sleeping, so it's like, well, maybe he's just sleeping, like, you know, in a coma or something, and he'll come back around. And Jesus goes, no, Lazarus died. So he knew he died. He's not grieving at this point. I mean, he knows he's dead, and he knows he's going to raise him, right? So then he goes two days away, and there's this interesting thing. I don't know. Back then, apparently, they believed that your person's spirit hung around for three days, and so it could come back. And so there's commentators who think that the reason Jesus was four days after Lazarus was dead was to make sure that everybody knew this was a miracle. Okay. Um, anyway, he gets there, and Martha comes running out. And she's like, what's the deal? If you'd been here, this wouldn't have happened. She's questioning not that he's God, but she's questioning his timing. Like, you know, if you'd gotten here a couple of days ago, you know, you could have fixed this. And so he meets her where she's at. 
He talks with her. He tells her he's the resurrection and the life. He imparts something to her, so much so that she's like, okay, the teacher's here. Let me go get Mary. Well, Mary shows up. She falls to Jesus' feet, and she's weeping. And what does Jesus do? His response is, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to, i got to go quickly through my notes. Um, when Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled within him, and he was deeply troubled. Some of the translations say he groaned in his spirit and was troubled. That groaning is like the snorting of a horse. The trouble is like agitated, restless. You want to like fear, anxiety. It's the same word for the disciples in the boat when the storm came up and Jesus was asleep. Freaking out, okay? That's the same thing that Jesus was experiencing. And, um, and, then, and then it says that Jesus wept, that he met Mary where Mary was at. He cried with her. He didn't say, it's all right, I'm going to raise him from the dead, giving me about five minutes, you know, or two minutes or whatever. He's like, he met her where she was at. Can we meet people where they're at? Can we rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep? We're only able to do that if we can embrace our grief. If we can experience grief, embrace it, and then reach out to others when they're grieving and give them the time and space they need. Hard message. (laughs) And I have about 25 more pages of notes I could go over. but. But I want to close with this. It's not fun to sit in the compost pile. It's not easy to be sad. But we have good examples of why we should. Jesus did it. God grieved. Holy Spirit grieved. We are filled with losses around us. And it doesn't mean we have to have the answers. It just means we have to be present. God will meet us. God met me. (laughs) He met me when my son died. He met me when my daughter died. There were times where I didn't feel like he was very close. But he doesn't leave us alone. His word says he doesn't. And he wants to be there for you in the midst of all of your grieving and all of your losses. It's something you do alone with him. I mean, others can support you, but you have to do the work yourself. So would you guys bow your heads and pray with me? So, Father, I just thank you. I thank you that you came down to earth and became a man so that you could experience what we experience that you know what loss is like, what grief is like, and that you are very present help when we experience trouble. And Father, I just ask today for each person here, as they heard the message, that you would just bring to light areas that they maybe need to seek your face about so that we could become 
as compassionate as you are. We can engage with others and lift one another up. Just thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.